3: Football Social Daily, your daily
1: Premier League podcast. Hi, I'm Nile, and this is Football Social Daily, the best place to come for podcasts on the English Premier League with a new show every single day of the season, even during the international break. And soon as we are in a short break in the season, why not cast an eye over the Premier League table and take stock of what we've seen so far eight games in? We've seen the weird and the wonderful, the good, the bad and the ugly. But are Southampton, Leicester and Aston Villa feeling lucky? Are those early gunslingers going to keep the pace? Could the next team to do a Leicester actually be Leicester? Also, Newcastle United might not be gunslinging in the top flight right now, but we still have both barrels loaded for Steve Bruce. Some Premier League managers will be disappointed they can't play golf at the moment but our own Marley Anderson is ready to tee off on one anyway as the Magpies boss is in the firing line. Plus we get the lowdown on Aston Villa's impressive opening salvo with Dan from the heart of the Holt Channel in today's Floodlight Focus. With me on the podcast we have the aforementioned Marley Anderson. You ready to let fly on old Brucey Marley?
4: Oh yes, barrels are loaded, (laughs) target acquired. People have been Big.
1: setting alarms all over the world ready for this podcast after yesterday. And <laughs> you were like, I really want to tee off on him, so we'll get to I've that in a to, bit.
4: I've had to cage up this this anger for I think it's a fourth day now, so
2: <laughs> it's ready to uh, to just explode over the top.
1: Like a champagne bottle, I'm sure. We've also got Matt Cunningham here. How you doing, Matt?
2: I'm good, thank you, Niall. I'm just ready to hear Marley's criticism
1: in about <laughs> I ten <know>. minutes. <laughs> I know. We're gonna have to keep people waiting a slight bit longer because that's not the first thing we're gonna talk about on today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit subscribe, by the way. You then have the next show delivered straight to your inbox. You're notified straight away as soon as it's uploaded, so you won't have to worry about anything in terms of setting an an alarm for when Marley does his next rant. You'll just have it straight there available to you. First thing we're going to talk about today is the Premier League table, because it sounds like a strange thing to talk about, but it's something we don't do too often. Currently, Top of the league, Leicester City, 18 points. Then it's Tottenham, Liverpool and completing the top four, Southampton. But also Aston Villa, who we'll be talking about a little bit later on in Floodlight Focus. A sixth place in the Premier League table and only three points off the top of the league. Now, it's fair to say it's been an absolutely crazy start to the season, Marley. Results all over the place that we weren't expected. The likes of Manchester United down in 14th in the Premier League table. Manchester City just about clinging on to the top half. It's been a wild ride. There's so many reasons we could point our fingers at as to why that's the case. People will obviously mention the lack of fans and the lack of a pre-season. But definitely, definitely, it feels like something different or special could happen this season. I don't know if you'd agree with that.
4: Well, yeah, with the the strange year everyone's had, um, I don't think anyone's that surprised that things are going a bit crazy in the Premier League as well because the world's a weird place um, and it just kind of fits in with this season with, uh, you know, I think... As soon as uh, Aston Villa put seven past Liverpool, you're thinking, "Bloody hell, this season's gonna be a little bit uh, could you know shape up to be a little bit strange." Um, and after eight games, you look at the table. You got Villa, Southampton, and Leicester all up there and in, in the top six, and Man United struggling in the bottom half. Um, it's one of them. It's it's a crazy start. I think there's a there's a stat going around that every team has conceded three goals in a single game at least once this season. Um, and we've only played eight games um, and 13, 13 <laughs> of those teams have conceded three goals in a single game more than once. So uh, that just proves, you know, there's goals flying in everywhere. Is it the lack of pre-season? Uh, probably. Um, is it the the increased schedule? Not, you know, not much break um, between the two, the two seasons because we've got to get on with it before the world, you know, sort of stalls to a halt again. Yeah. Um, Probably, probably got something to do with it. Um, the thing, in particular, Leicester for me, it's more to do with the fact that Leicester are a bloody good team. It's I don't think they get yeah. the credit they deserve um, sometimes. And for years and years, I don't think Brendan Rodgers has ever got the the um, the praise he deserves for his achievements. Like he nearly got Liverpool to win the league, and it might say. You might think, oh, yeah, but nearly, you know, finishing second is, is failing to win the league. But the team he had was, was not a title challenger before he came. And it, it wasn't for five years after he came because Klopp had to re, you know, change everything um, in terms of his, his personnel and his style and everything like that. So I think Rodgers is proving that he's, he's a quality manager. I think Leeds against Leicester the other week was um, a real tactical um insight into how things um how things work and and rogers you know out outclassed bielsa and it was one of them where the the problems bielsa gives you as a as a an opposition manager i think is um a real headache for for people that it it, it can find people out really quickly um his his system causes problems Mm. you've got to know what to do in that situation and Rodgers had the the staff and the the tactics and the playing you know the playing staff and the tactics to to sort him out and to to ease past um, to ease past leads pretty pretty comfortably in the
1: end um, and I think mm. you know they deserve to be on top of the top of the table at the minute yeah I mean he became a meme at one point didn't he Brendan Rogers due to the overuse yeah, of the that, word character that wound me up in his post match that really interviews. wound me up and you know as well there was this perception that moving from Celtic to Leicester was a step down, Matt, as well. There are a lot of people, particularly pundits, I'm thinking Chris Sutton in particular, of course, is a a big affinity towards Celtic, who thought that moving away from a club the size of Celtic to a club the size of Leicester, and I think if you're looking on face value, Celtic are a bigger club with a bigger fan base and a bigger stadium, etc., but do you think he's been vindicated in that decision now to move from a really successful Celtic team to a Leicester side who were kind of a bit in between when he went there and they've now pushed on?
2: Yeah, well, I think so, certainly. I think the thing is, while you do say Celtic are a bigger club than Leicester, which they obviously are, um, I also think Leicester is a more exciting challenge than managing Celtic. Celtic's season really depends on the Champions League. You expect them to win the league and I know Rangers have started pushing them close as of recent. Um but with Leicester, it, you know, the, the Premier League is such a difficult competition. So getting into the top four, the top six is a challenge. Um, certainly sitting at the top of the league after after eight games um, is a huge challenge. It's a difficult thing to do. Obviously, we've just been talking about how bizarre the season is uh, this season. But I think Rogers, we spoke about it last time I was on um, a week ago today. He's done a fantastic job everywhere. He's gone. This might be his best work yet. I'm not quite sure. but We'll have to wait and see until the end of the season. But they do look a really good team, Leicester. And the way he sets them up. Uh, they're interesting to watch. They play some nice football. They score a lot of goals as well. And I, th- I think Leicester are already a in for the top four. They were quite unlucky last season. It came down to that um, final game, didn't it, against uh, Manchester United mm. um, on the last day of the season. I think they ended up being quite unlucky not to finish in the top four last season. This season, I think they've set themselves up much better to do so. And you look at the other teams that you would have put in there, Manchester City, Manchester United, not having the greatest of seasons so far. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But Rodgers,
1: as I said, doing a great job maybe the manager of the season so far the early award given out yeah well let let me ask you both about that the point that Matt makes there about Leicester were in with the shout of finishing in the top four on the final day of last season and ended up losing to Manchester United and then Marley you mentioned about the season with Liverpool where they came very very close to winning the title and people will point their finger at the Steven Gerrard slip obviously so is there any question marks over Brendan Rodgers Marley I'll come to you first in terms of his ability to get a job done completely he's done a very very good job so far but arguably Leicester really should have finished in the top four last season in terms of they were there they were within touching distance comfortably in the top four for a long period then they started losing games and the results tailed off massively and then they ended up losing it on the final day of the season and then similarly with Liverpool in 2014 when Steven Gerrard slipped and then they threw away a couple of results at the end and the pressure got to them and they couldn't cling on to the title do you think that there sh- there might be some question marks over whether Leicester can actually Maintain this top four position. Um, do, do you know what? I, yeah, I think I think they can't be.
4: You can't hold that against them that they didn't finish, you know, well last season. I think a lot of teams were. It suppose it, it, it was a failure, as in, you know, where they should have been. They should have easily got into the Champions League. They should have pretty comfortably held on. But teams teams ended up getting better. They they ended up. You know they were they were top of the league when, um, well well second in the league and chasing Liverpool when there was only Man City and Liverpool playing well in the league and even Man City were way off. So Leicester got into that into that um, little sort of hole that was left by everyone else. And I think with with the way that is, um, you know, if if it was always one of them where if if everyone starts then playing to the best of their ability like they did in the last sort of twelve games or ten games. It was always gonna get harder for um, for Leicester to to cling on because everyone was getting better behind them and the the fixtures were piling up. They had a few injuries um, at the back and Vardy went off form for a little bit. And it's just one of them where a, a sort of web of things went against them. And you know, I think it's harder to get there in the first place than you know. I'd rather get there and slip yeah. and never get there at all. True. Like, it's a bit philosophical, you know, to say, you know, it's, it's better to have loved than, and lost than to never have loved at all. You know, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, but it, it, it kind of has a little bit of truth in that because, you know, would you rather support a team that, it, that literally has a ceiling at, at six and do, you know, just... You know, bang on that ceiling for years and years, and have you know a, a good ceiling, then a a good season, then a rubbish season. Or would you rather be a team that might actually go and get crash the top four <laughs> or the top six? I as know for the, I, uh, as, I as know for
1: the former. Yeah, well, as for the former, I wondered whether you were referring to Southampton there, because that sounds exactly like them. And I can laugh being a Portsmouth fan, because, as you say, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I loved when we won the FA Cup in 2008, and it's been a long, long time since Southampton have ever won anything, such as the point they have started printing T-shirts at the fact that they were top of the league on Friday night, having played a game more than everyone else after (laughs) eight games. But there we go. Sometimes there's levels to this game as the old meme goes. But they are fourth in the Premier League, Matt, and it is the November international break. We cannot deny that eight games in, the table is starting to take a little bit of shape at least. So we've spoken about Leicester and we'll talk about Villa a little bit later on uh, with Dan from Heart of the Holt. But as for Southampton, is it a surprise that they're in the top four? Do they deserve to be in the top four? Can they maintain a top four finish? Um, we've spoken about 2020 and how weird it is and we've spoken about how good a side Leicester are. Do you think people are giving Southampton the credit they deserve? Excluding me because I won't be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know I heard the perk in your voice when you started talking about Southampton five minutes ago saying that they, uh, they've they printed t-shirts off. <laughs> I thought...
1: <laughs> embarrassing, <laughs> man. Them, embarrassing. Yeah,
2: I could tell that you were happy at the embarrassment but um, I, I, Southampton's a difficult one for me as I've not watched too much of them this season but if you go off paper the, the recent results... Uh, you can't really knock it. They Obviously, that draw to Chelsea when Chelsea went 3-0 up and they came back, which was impressive. Uh, I did put that down to Chelsea being uh, not the side that they think they are, Lampard not being the manager that he thinks of, maybe people think he is. I think he gets a lot of credit because he is an English manager and I suppose an English hero as well. Um, but then beating Everton, beating Villa, who we've just been speaking about, a good side as well and doing well this season. And then a win against Newcastle most recently. It's... It's really good form in the Premier League. Those wins are hard to pick up. Uh, being a, a Manchester United fan, I, <laughs> I know that firsthand. We don't uh, make anything look easy. Well, barring this weekend where I thought we played actually played quite well. But um, Southampton, obviously, I do not think that they'll be in the top four come the end of the season. I don't think they'll much last much longer at all, in fact. But w- w- for a team that maybe we're hoping or at the beginning of the season saying, well, let's just try and stay up first and foremost and then see where we can push on from there. To have picked up 16 points in your opening eight games, That's huge for a club like southampton you know they say 40 points keeps you up in the premier league and they've already got 16 of those Mm. um so they can you can set your targets a little bit higher now and i think they've proved themselves what they're capable of obviously danny ing's uh what he's doing is not going unnoticed he's scoring goals regularly for the last sort of 18 months to two years now um is a huge help to southampton when you've got a guy that you can rely on to get a goal when you need it Uh, as we've seen with aston villa who have brought ollie watkins in and they look a completely different team because They've now got a guy that's capable of scoring a hat-trick against Liverpool and a brace against Arsenal. And suddenly you find out that you can actually win these games. And, mm. you know, it's not just always Le- uh, the Liverpools and um, Chelsea and City- uh, Manchester Cities of the world that win it each game. So I think Southampton, a great start. Shouldn't go unnoticed. Do I think it will last much longer? Probably not. Do I think they will end up to- further-, further towards the bottom of the table come the end of the season? I think so. And I would say maybe a 15th or 16th, pushing up to 14th if they're lucky
1: finish. He's probably
2: about appropriate for Southampton this season.
1: Well, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly how I think and uh, you have to give <laughs> them credit for the for, for, for being in the top four at this moment in time, all rivalries aside. They're playing good football and Ralph Hasenhurt appears to have restored the faith in him that was probably lost after that 9-0 drubbing by Leicester just over a year ago. Although there were question marks over whether Southampton would be able to perform without Danny Ings, they managed to do so on Friday against your team Newcastle, Marley, and we'll talk about Friday night's display very, very shortly because I know people are hanging on to your Every word waiting to to hear what you have to say about Steve Bruce. But before we do, I want to talk about the bottom three just quickly, the relegation zone. The bottom four currently looks like this. So Sheffield United are stone dead bottom. Then it's Burnley in 19th, West Brom in 18th. And just a point above the drop zone in 17th, we've got Fulham. What do you think, Marley? Do you think we'll see those four teams in the same position come the end of the season. I know it's hard to predict just 8 games in, but certainly from what we've seen so far, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United all played 8 games all very much down towards the bottom end of the league. Uh, West uh, Burnley have played a game less, but still they've not looked great. Um all three of the sides in the relegation zone yet to win so far this season. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's
4: an awful long time for in like long way into the season for three teams to be still waiting for for the first win. Um I thought at least, you know, I thought everyone would have won at least one by now. I thought there wouldn't be as much of a gap as there is. I mean, Leeds to Brighton, it's already four points, and obviously that's going to change all throughout the season. But, um, you know, 16th to 20th is starting to look a bit bleak. Um, I I think West Brom and Fulham, as we've talked about a lot, um, on the podcast, I think I think they're as good as gone. I think you can you can stick an hour next to their name now. If I'm honest, think, <laughs> they're not think...
1: even in the relegation zone though. Well, I know only your mind. point about yeah,
4: but do you know what? I I still think I still think they'll go down. I think Sheffield United will get better. Um, mm. I don't know how much they'll get better, but I think they will get better, and I think they are good enough to stay up. With it. they can draw on their experiences from last season, I think to to really help them out. Um, but it doesn't do anything to. To dispel this second season syndrome cliche, because it's it's clearly alive and well with them, um, not winning any of the first eight games. So I think they'll they could be down there by the end of the season, but I do expect them to stay up. Brighton, Brighton will finish fifteenth like they always do. Um, <laughs> I think they they've finished fifteenth the last uh, two years in a row. They haven't signed a, a striker that can score them, you know, twelve or fifteen goals and, and chip in like that. I think more pays. Hit and miss. He's hot and cold. And I mean, the last time I said he wasn't good enough, he scored twice at the weekend. So I'm saying it now because there's an international break, <laughs> and uh, he can't prove me wrong this weekend. So I think they'll they'll be down there as well. Um, unfortunately, I think Burnley will improve. Uh, I think <laughs> if anyone's style deserves to go down, it's Burnley. But Sean Dyche's has been has been hung out to dry. I think by the the fact that they've not. Spent any money? I mean, they spent nine hundred and fifty grand in the summer, and it was to sign Dale, Dale Stevens from Brighton, who couldn't get yeah. into the team that is possibly going to finish one or two places above you. So that that just proves how how little ambitions at the club. And I know it comes from board level, but I think it's um, I think it's time that that Burnley really got out what they put into a season. They've not put enough into the preseason. Um, they've not enough done enough in the champ in the uh, transfer window. So I think they'll um, they'll struggle and I think I think it's time Deitch left Burnley, if I'm honest, but mm. I think he's took him as far as he can. They got him into Europe for a couple of weeks when they...
1: Would the you take him game. at Newcastle instead of Steve Bruce?
4: No, no <laughs>
1: chance. I can't believe yeah. you took a second to think about it. That shows how bad things are getting.
4: because I nearly choked, that's why. <laughs> I was can you, not honestly though, can you imagine Sean Deitch trying to tell Alan St. Maximine what to do? <laughs> <laughs>
1: God, I can't imagine Sean Dyche as Newcastle manager. If things are bad enough uh, for Steve Bruce, do you know what? In your eyes. If
4: Bruce went, he would be linked with the job. That's the sad thing.
1: Yeah. No, you do you know what? You are probably right. Anyway, let's not waste any more time. Let's have a quick break and let Marley sort of boil up, bubble up a little bit to temperature because after this he'll be talking about Newcastle United and the anger he's feeling after Friday night's performance. This is Football Social Daily. <laughs>
3: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates, and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social Daily Premier League podcasts every single day of the season. So make sure you hit the subscribe button and that way you won't ever miss an episode. On today's show, we've been talking about the Premier League table and how strange it looks after eight games. But things look pretty similar if you're a Newcastle United fan because it seems they're always stuck, like Groundhog Day in the middle of the table. Well, they didn't perform particularly well on Friday night against Southampton. Southampton won and took them top of the league briefly. Uh, they're now currently fourth in the top flight table. But as for Newcastle, well, things aren't exactly going too great over at St James's Park, at least from a supporter's perspective. And of course, we've got our very own Newcastle supporter here on Football Social Daily, Marley Anderson. I know you've been waiting to get stuck into Steve Bruce for the last four or five days now. You've reached boiling point. The floor is yours, <laughs> my friend.
4: Uh, yeah, I think he's doing it right actually. <laughs> Lol just just kidding. Um right my, my issue is right the people you know people might be looking at the the table and going well Newcastle of 13th what what do you you know expect do you expect more from that? And the answer is 13th is not really that much of an issue with that position. It's the it's the way we're, we're doing it and we're, the way we're going about it and the way the league table looks below us. We've got Man United one, one point below us and they've already battered us this season. Um, so it's clear that they're going to get better. They've even got a game in hand. So they're, for all intents and purposes, we're practically 14th. Again, that's not that much of an issue. But Leeds, Leeds are going to a much better team than us, 100%. So they um, they're gonna go up above us, and then as we talked about just before the break, you're down there with Brighton, Fulham, West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield United. You're in that mire, and that is that is not where you want to be as as a fan. Um, and while it's okay now, I think not. I think not many people in general media are talking about Newcastle because we're not that sort of. Um, it, it's not that bad on the basis of it, but if you if you watch us and how we play. It's it's an abomination. <laughs> it is awful. It's so bad. Honestly, right? I, I sat there on Friday night and watched the game. It was on Sky, um, and you could tell we were going to lose the game because and this is my biggest issue with Steve Bruce is the complete the complete level of tactical knowledge that was on shore by the two managers. I think Ralph Hasenhuettel has been in in charge of Southampton for a couple of years now, and he's always been a manager who's tried to implement a certain style. And he's, if anything, you know, I mean, I know you hate Southampton, Nile, but everybody knows how Southampton... They play better than Newcastle, don't Yeah, that. 100%. Saying, yeah. 100%. They try, and, they try and pass the ball on the floor. They try and keep possession. And more, the most important thing about how Southampton play, the key to how they play, is that they're high pressing, they're high energy. They As, as soon as you get the ball, they will come at you and they will try and pen you in. Now, my biggest issue on, on Friday was the formation that we've been using for the last... Oh, t- too long. Um, but only in, in previous weeks, it's, it's been a 5-4-1, um, and now it's, it's a 5-3-2, which is worse because of what you're seeing on Friday night. So Southampton, as I said, high-pressing, As soon as you get the ball, they're going to put pressure on you. So what does Steve Bruce do? He plays Miguel Almirón, who is a number ten and a a creative player, and he asks him to put a shift in in a central midfield three, going box to box, winning the ball back, trying to run us out of trouble and run us up the pitch. That is never going to work against a high pressing team because he hasn't got the pace, he hasn't got the space to get up to pace and to you know to run at players and to commit them. And he, he's doing it. If he, if you force him to do it in that area, he's gonna lose the ball. It's it's that simple. He's he's going to make mistakes. Ward Prowse and Oriol um, uh, Romeo in the middle of the of the Southampton pitch are just gonna be on him like a shot because they know what he's gonna do, and they know that he's gonna take risks because he's he's that kind of player. He's an attacking flair player. So you've asked him to put a shift in. So there's the one mistake. And when what happens seven minutes in? He, he does exactly that. He picks up a loose ball from the goalkeeper, um, in a in sort of like 25 yards out. He tries to dribble. I mean, he has plenty of chances to, to smack it clear, but because he's not that he's not that type of player. He's not he's not a defender who just wants to stick it in a touch. I know that's what he should have done, but he doesn't do it because he's he doesn't think that way. And I think you know it is an individual mistake, but you can put that you can always put an individual mistake down to what what. What conditions he's working under. If you play a guy out of position, he's gonna do what comes natural to him, and that comes down to the manager playing him in a, in a midfield three and asking him to do something different to what he's used to. So there's my there's my my first issue with it. My second issue is the the five three two in in general. Like you don't need to be a tactical sort of you know genius to to work out that in a five three two formation. The only place you can go, the only place you can attack is down the middle because the only width you've got is at the back. So if you're under pressure and you win the ball back and your back 3-5 is a back 5 because you haven't got the ball, the only place you can go when you win it immediately is either try and run the entire way down the, ring, down the wing past the right midfielder and the right back or a left back and a left midfielder. You can either try and run the ball 70, 80 yards and get up the pitch, which obviously isn't going to happen. Or number two, you can smack it into the middle of the pitch, and you can you can you can even try and build possession from the back. But what you do is you're always going to pass it into the middle of the pitch where your midfield three is. And as I said before, Southampton press so highly and so aggressively that as soon as they get the ball, they're going to be faced with a with a problem, and that's what happened for our second goal. Um, sorry for the for Southampton's second goal that we conceded because Sean Longstaff picked it up on the edge of his own box. He he went to kick it, and this is I swear to God this it's barely it's barely even a mistake by Longstaff because he tries to kick it and then he looks up and he realizes that Remeu and Ward Prowse are stood in front of Wilson and Saint Maximan, so there literally isn't a pass on. And then he stops and thinks I'm not going to give it away. I'll try and you know I'll, I'll reset and I'll. Try and pick a different pass, and he hasn't got the time because the press is so high and so good from Southampton that they nick it off him, and Stuart Armstrong scores, and it's two nil, and it's game over. I mean, we could have lost that game six or seven nil, um, but Darlow had a pretty good game in goal. He's one of the 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 brightest sparks of our season, but mm. the, the, the stats back it up. I mean, we're, we're yeah. So no so one's... what are
1: you top of the shots conceded league, aren't you? Top yeah. of the shots on target conceded. Yeah. Lowest top of possession. most saves made. Yeah. Uh, Lowest no, possession in the league.
4: Yeah, no one's had, I think, past completions pretty poor as well. But for me, everything can be linked back to, to, to the decisions that Bruce is making. You know, you have put Almiron out there to fill. Um, Jeff Hendricks playing centre midfield where I know he can do that and he's done it for Ireland. He's done it a little bit for Burnley. But when Isaac Hayden sat on the bench and he's, he's a ball-winning midfielder and he's not getting into a, a defensive team... You know, um, at the minute, I know he, he, he struggled with a little bit of an injury, but it's it's really it's depressing to watch because he he refuses to change his system because we keep you know grinding out results and it's it's luck. I mean, we were, we were shocking against Wolves. We barely had a kick, and then we won a free kick, which was just down to to Callum Wilson being a a clever, experienced striker and deliberately not winning a header against Connor Cody and instead inviting the contact and he, he, he won us the free kick out of out of uh and just being a bit clever and we scored the free kick and we didn't deserve the, the win at all but the, I mean the five three two system, Alan St Maximan as a as a supporting striker where like, he's never played there in his career so why do you think he can do it now? <laughs> like if you if you played a different way, like he's a winger, he needs space to come and attack players because if you're getting one-on-one he's going past you and he's creating a chance that's how good a player he is um and to play this negative way this five five at the back three in midfield and, and two strikers it, it just isn't it isn't any good it doesn't work it as i've just said it only it's it's almost like a it's like a triangle formation it's wide at the bottom and then it's like narrow at the at the tip it just means you can't go up the sides of the pitch. It cuts off the side of the pitch because you've got no players there. So it, as soon as you get the ball, it's like, well, where are they going to pass it? Well, down the middle. So the other team will pack the middle of the field and we're very, very easy to play against. It's annoying because we've got, we've got wingers at the club. We've got a squad capable of doing so much better. I mentioned before, I mean, Brighton. Brighton are down there. They haven't got a guy that can score as as many goals as Callum Wilson. They haven't got a player that can dribble past players and create chances like Saint Maximan. I think their defence is all right, but ours is all right. The goalies all right,
1: but ours are good. If Steve Bruce got sacked, he won't. But if he got sacked tomorrow, who would you choose to replace him? I've seen a lot of people suggest Eddie Howe, and I'm not just wondering. I'm just wondering whether that's because you've got Callum Wilson now, you've got Fraser now, and maybe that's the natural link there between him and those players but if you had to choose someone um obviously we're not talking pep or Klopp or whatever we're talking someone who newcastle could realistically go out and get because let's not forget you've attracted rafa benitez in the past and it, you're a massive football club really um you know ring the cliche bell sleeping giant i think personally mm. with all the the history and the fan base and everything so if you could choose a manager tomorrow to replace steve bruce and maybe even if you finished 15th like brighton they sacked Chris Hewton and replaced him with Graham Potter, but at least the football was more entertaining. I mean, who would you choose? Um,
4: well, you, you've already said him. I would choose Eddie Howe. It's it's um, it's not the fact. It's not it's not his links with Wilson and and Fraser. If anything, I think that could that could possibly hinder his move because um, he fell out with with Fraser clearly at the end of his time there because Fraser refused to sign the the contract extension. So there might even be a bit of bad blood there. But with the way he plays football. Um, I would, I would, um, I would definitely go for him. He's out of work. He's not going to cost that much. Um, Bournemouth can't have paid him too much. I, I'm assuming he would get a, a handy, uh, nice little um, pay increase from what he was last on down there. I think he's been linked with the Celtic job, which kind of worries me. Um, if Neil Lennon goes, because he would be the one I would, I would want. I think we've got the players to play a possession-based game and have more than 30% possession because it's it's depressing to see us like get the ball and then go gosh what do we do with this like let's let's try and let's try yeah. and give it to Alan see what he can do um, and you know so Max gets it and there's two players on him and, and that's it, it, it it's, he's he's probably going to get tackled or fouled or stopped before he gets into a dangerous area which is the issue for me I think it, there's a simple way to play just play your back four play Almiron as a number 10 we 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 signed him from Atlanta United he'd made like every appearance as a number 10 he's barely played there for us since signing really um he always gets shafted out to a wing or given a sort of a freer role play him as your number 10 say saint maximan which wing do you want to play on and then if he says left play him left if he plays right play him right play fraser on the other wing have hidden protecting with Longstaff behind them and play callum wilson up front and he'll get you the he'll get you the goals He's never tried that team. He's never tried this, what, on paper, would be our strongest team. He's always he's messing around with these um, this back five formation and then says, "Well, the players can't, you know, the players aren't used to playing a back four. I want to play a back four, but the players aren't used to it." And it's to a point where if you, you know, you've got to be stronger as a manager. For me, you've got to say, "Well, I'm the manager. We're a back, We we should play a back four where we want to have more possession. We want to actually go and try and win games because." our centre-backs aren't strong enough it's not as if we're not conceding any goals at all and you know everything's ending nil-nil because our defence is amazing but we're not getting it to our attackers quick enough, we're doing the worst thing, we're conceding goals and we're not scoring them so there's clearly not an issue, there's not a case there for for a back five so uh, Bruce, I mean I could go on about Bruce, Jesus wept, I mean he then comes out and says well you know we didn't, this is another thing that winds me up man he says we didn't, we weren't determined enough and we didn't want it. And, like, you can't win a game through just determination because if you're, you know, if you're a right wing-back and you've got... Well, that's a bad example. So let's say you're a left wing-back on Friday. You're Jamal Lewis and you've got Kyle Walker-Peters, Theo Walcott and um, Stuart Armstrong to deal with on your flank alone. You know how much determination do you have to have to 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 um, cope with two players, at least two players, sometimes three. It just it just doesn't work. Like you can be as much like I could be really really determined to lift a car, it, but I can't lift a car because I'm not strong enough. It's that's it. it doesn't work like that, Steve. It's not on determination. It's not on how hard you try to do something. Sometimes it's tactics, and you simply haven't got them.
1: So if you were to describe. Steve Bruce in one word. What word would you use? Oh, just we've got a bleep button. Inept. <laughs> out of Inept. his depth. If you were in charge um,
2: of Newcastle right now, Mildley, would you sack him today? Because I mean, you spoke very negative about him there, and I, I mean, I don't think he's as bad as maybe you made out. But if you were the owner or, or, or the CEO of Newcastle, would you sack Steve Bruce right now? Uh, I I would, yeah, but um, it's because.
4: I mean, that's, this is another issue with Newcastle. We're never going to do that because it has to get really, really bad before any decisions are made. It has to threaten to affect us financially, which basically means we need to be in a relegation fight before anything happens because our board is made up of businessmen and our board is made up of no one with a sort of sporting background. We haven't got a director of football or a sporting chief executive. Um, we signed players on, on financial um, the financial sort of deal that we can do, whether we can get a bargain and flip him for a profit. Um, and it's very rare that we that we go and sign players that can make an instant impact. And you could argue we've done that this season um, with Wilson and with Fraser. And then you see how Steve Bruce is playing him and it's almost like, you know, you, you, can, you can say, well, you wanted these players and we're still playing very negative. And why don't you go and give them a chance to actually succeed? I think Wilson's punching way above his weight in terms of what he's given the uh, the team, and now he's gone down with with a hamstring injury, which you know I, I can even I, you can even understand how he got that injury because he stood there up front for fifteen twenty minutes doing nothing, and then finally a ball comes a, a ball comes up to him that he can chase, and he goes and chases it, and. his hamstring goes, it's probably because he's cold his muscles have gone cold, he's not been moving, he's not been involved in the game for 15-20 minutes and then you ask an explosive player with a lot of pace to go and chase something down and ping, his hamstring goes and he could be out for a a, a couple of weeks, a a month maybe so even then, you know, the one one bright spark of our season has just been sort of
2: um on basically (laughs) so I mean, the, the next question I would ask you then is if you would sack him, if you were in charge and you would sack him today, does his season last season not, not count for anything? Because he's not had much money to spend. I know you mentioned the club wait until, you know, it, it affects them financially before they make decisions. That's because Mike Ashley typically is, you know, a bit of a penny pincher, I suppose. He's not had much too much money to work with. And if you talk about net spend, obviously you lost Perez last season and you finished, maybe, was it mid-table about about 11th or 12th last season or something? So does that not, not stand for anything for Steve Bruce? Um, I think... I think expectations have to
4: be, to be you know, you've got to try and improve year on year. Um, I, I think our last three um, points totals have been 45, 44, and then 44 again. And there was a point last season, just um, post lockdown, where we played a slightly more adventurous formation, and it was the, you know, the super brave 4 3 one formation. I think we won three or four games on the spin. And then we ended I think we played I think it was it was a top six team, it might have been Spurs. And we went back to a back five and we just went into our shells and never played anything different. But at the end of that little winning run of playing sort of slightly more adventurously, we um we were eleventh and four points off eighth or something like that. So it was like it's it's one of them things where the table is that tight towards the end of the season that if you have a go and you be brave, you can you can you know, you don't know where you can end up because teams are clambering all over each other. And Bruce doesn't do that. Bruce doesn't play the... He doesn't take the chance. Um, he, he doesn't back himself. He, he just sort of says, well, you know, the players like playing a, a back five. Well, sort of what the players think. You're the manager. You try and grow a backbone and, and try and implement a style. I, I look at Ralph Hasenhutl with with jealousy because he's a, a guy who's came in and despite getting... You know, hammered every now and again in his first uh, couple of, well, first first few months, couple of seasons. You know, we talk about the nine nil all the time, but he's always wanted to play that style, and he's always wanted to get to a a, a solid plan. And once the players got up to speed with him, you seeing what Southampton is doing now. And why, you know, why can't why can't a, a team like Newcastle, who I would I would still argue are a bigger club than Southampton, um, don't
1: need to argue that, but.
4: <laughs> But, you know, why can't we have a manager like that? It's, you know, it's not impossible.
1: I massively understand your frustrations Marley and I'm sure there's loads of Newcastle United supporters out there that feel exactly the same way if you agree or disagree with Marley perhaps you're another Toon fan who has a different point of view and you're back in Steve Bruce send us a message on social media at the sports social on Twitter it's sports social official on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook as well but time to divert attentions away from the Northeast and down to Birmingham where Aston Villa are our featured club in floodlight focus we'll be speaking to Dan Wiseman from the Villa Villa podcast next
3: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time for Floodlight Focus now, and I doubt many of us would have been tipping Aston Villa for a European place this time six months ago, but. Things are really looking up now at Villa Park. Dean Smith has got good shit Villa back on course and heading for a more favourable destination. It looked like Port could have been the championship not long ago, but now who knows where they could end up this season. Joining us to chat all about Villa, we've got Dan Wiseman from the Villa Villa podcast, which is by Heart of the Holt. How are you doing, Dan?
0: I'm not bad, lads. What a great time to have me on. You, uh, (laughs) You asked me to come on last week. That you know we were like just after the second half we were 4-0 down at home to Southampton but yeah you, you've managed to time this one well
1: <laughs> Sounds good Aston Villa absolutely flying at the moment you talk about it being timed well absolutely it's the case so far because this season has been an absolute rollercoaster ride just from a Villa perspective, let alone the entirety of the Premier League. You must be absolutely buzzing with how Villa have started. Although there's been a couple of um, slip-ups here and there, which it's hard to say that they're even slip-ups considering the way that
0: you went last season compared to this. But you must be delighted with the start. Yeah, I'll tell you what, boys. It's, it's just been absolutely a- amazing. It seems, you know, Villa, for, for the past few seasons, they've been doing my heart no, no good whatsoever. You know, if you look at it, <laughs> Sort of the past three seasons, it's all come down to the final day. Our our, you know potentially Premier League status because we had the playoff final against Fulham, which we lost. The season after that, we had the playoff final against Derby, which we ended up going up. And then last season, I don't know if you remember, we had that do or die game at West Ham. Um, Yeah. And so it's it's just been completely topsy turvy. I don't think anyone quite expected this improvement. Um, but it, it's just been absolutely amazing and, and some of the results that we've picked up along the way, especially this season have been something that I won't forget and, and that's where, you know I, we all sound like a broken record but we hate to bring it back to this but the fact that we can't be in, in the ground to, to experience mm. them hurts that a little bit more but yeah, no, I, I can't really complain
1: <laughs> We'll talk about the famous Liverpool victory in a little bit but first of all, I want to know your thoughts on Dean Smith there are a few rumblings, perhaps more from pundits than Aston Villa fans, that Dean Smith wasn't quite the right man for the job, and after last season, maybe it was time for a change of direction in terms of the managerial position at Villa Park. How proud are you of what Smith's done to turn things around, and how happy are you with
0: him as manager? Well, look, I, I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not someone who tries to shy away from it. I, I was one of the people that was potentially calling for a change last season. Um, we looked really we looked really poor at times to be honest with you there were some really bad results i remember um especially we got beaten 3-0 at home on uh on boxing day by watford who obviously ended up going down and that was a really big sort of really big do or die game for me um against the fellow strugglers and i was like that result mm-hmm. potentially you know we've got six months left of the season but it might be time to shift it around but the club stuck by dean and I think the fact that you know he's he's a Villa fan, born and bred, and you know I'm sure we're all aware of the sort of his dad was a steward, stories and, and all that, and I think that that really yeah. played in his, his favour because I think if if Dave Smith wasn't in Smith and he was perhaps named, you know Remy Guard or, or Steve Bruce or one any of our our other former managers, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he sticks around, but. No no, we, <laughs> Marley's a Newcastle fan by the way Dan <laughs> Oh I feel for you I feel for you we've He's already
1: there. teed off on Steve Bruce on the podcast once don't get yeah, him started we, again
0: <laughs> We've been through those trials and tribulations we've passed him on to you now and I, I do feel sorry for that to be honest <laughs> with you um, but no he, you know he stuck around and, and look I don't think um, the influence of, of Craig Shakespeare who, who we brought him in, in the summer to sort of assist him we've got three assistant managers John Terry Richard O'Kelly and Craig Shakespeare and I think They've formed this sort of Avengers-style coaching staff, which which really seems to be helping <laughs> Dean. Um, and the way we've progressed this season, especially defensively, um, has, has been remarkable. You know, last season, only Norwich conceded more goals than we did. And, and this season, we're the only side in Europe's top five leagues yet to concede a goal away. So, so, you know, the, the stats really speak for themselves and, and the improvement has been measurable.
1: I mentioned earlier this week on the podcast, Dan, that Villa's recruitment, the last two windows before the one just gone, has been absolutely stinking. In my opinion, I think some of the players that Villa mm-hmm. have signed, they've not been up to scratch. That's just my personal opinion. But this time yeah, around, right. the players that you've brought in in the summer, <clears throat> the players that you brought in in the summer were inspired almost. Watkins has been excellent. Barkley's been brilliant. Do you think that credit should go to Villa for the way that they've decided to address those problem positions and do it with aplomb?
0: Yeah, definitely. Look, you know, the, the only reason that we're, we are where we are at the moment in the, in the league this season is because of the signings that we've made. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the obvious ones are sort of Emmy Martinez, Ross Barkley, Oli Watkins. Um, mm. I don't particularly feel like enough credit has gone to Matty Cash at right back. Um, across the league he's been absolutely amazing um, really hasn't put a, a, for our line perhaps bar the a, the Southampton game at home uh, last week he's just been amazing but last season our, our, our hand was sort of forced because we came up from the championship we lost 13 uh, first team players um, they were either out of contracts or at the end of loans obviously you know, we had some big, pretty big Tammy Abraham size boots to fill as well yeah. when we came up and, and we really had to spread that budget quite wide sort of investing in sort of nine, 10, 10 million pound players instead of four or five, 20, 30 million pound players, which has been the way this season. Um, the, the fee for Watkins and stuff r- raised a lot of eyebrows, you know, and, and mm. mine included. Um, but, you know, six goals in his first seven games, you, you can't really shake a stick at that. And he's formed um, quite the front three and. But, you know, we, we've also had a lot of players who have stepped up to the plate. Trezeguet, who a lot of fans were um, thought was really hit and miss last season, has, has stepped up and, and is keeping Bertrand Traore, who we signed from Lyon out of the team. Um, and so so credit must go to a lot of the lads that have stuck around. Um, but no, the, the signings that we've made have been pretty amazing to a man this season.
1: What are your thoughts on the 7-2 victory over Liverpool? What What can you remember from that day? And what's the sort of general takeaway from your perspective as a Villa fan, uh, of how that went down?
0: Yeah, boys, you're lucky it's only audio, this podcast, because... <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the grin on my face. It, 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 it was really bizarre, to be honest with you. Like, I, I haven't... It was just sheer delirium. Like, I remember looking... The goals were going in, and I sort of sat there and was expecting like the referee to blow a whistle or something like that and just go no we've got to restart this one boys like this game is just going completely unaccording to plan <laughs> um i couldn't really believe it was happening but you know i think the, the liverpool were obviously especially poor that day but villa turned up and and it's probably the, the best game i've ever seen the likes of, of Grealish play for villa mm. um he, he was just absolutely insane that day and and um, yeah, it really hurt that we couldn't be in the ground. But it's one of those games whereby, you know, if, if we did have fans in the ground and, you know, there were 42,500 down at Villa Park that day, uh, I don't think we beat them 7-2, to be honest with you. So perhaps yeah. there is an element of that whereby we were quite lucky to watch it from home, maybe, in a way. But, you know, the, the game was absolutely amazing. One of the best results, probably the the best Villa result in, in my lifetime. Um, and, yeah, it was it really... Sent the Villa fans completely giddy, and <laughs> we were then sent b- crashing down back to earth with with the Leeds game, where um, you know Patrick Bamford scored that hat trick a week later. But no, that week after the the Liverpool game w- was amazing, and uh, yeah, it's, it's one I won't forget in a hurry.
4: Dan, after this um, this awesome start, you know you're your sixth, and and everything's flying, and new signings and everything are, are gelling perfectly. Where can it lead this season? Where's where's now the um, the expectation, or the 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 realistic goal, is it is it sort of top ten? Is it? Let's see where this this crazy time takes us because the top six could be could be, you know, wide open with, with with the way teams are going. Like Arsenal and Man United aren't exactly stepping up to the plate. Where do you think it's it's realistically gonna gonna end up?
0: It's such a hard question, uh, and la- you know. As I said, given how um, it's all come down to the final day in the last three seasons, I would, I would like before the season, I would have been so happy with your run-of-the-mill, 12th, 13th, 14th, mid-table obscurity, it done and dusted by April. I, I would have loved that, to be honest with you. Should um, have kept
1: Steve but... Bruce then, Dan. You'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, you're telling me. Um, but look, it, <laughs> we... Um, we, we've really set a benchmark for this season, and it's so hard to call, isn't it? The league this season. I mean, I, I'm looking at this, and I think that the weird nature of, of this season means I, I think we're going to see some not freak results because, you know, I think after you play a 38 game season, every team is, is completely justified to finish where they do. Um, but it's, it's going to be so hard to call, and, and look, I think now, you know, we're sat in sixth. Uh, we have a game in hand, which you know, albeit it, is Manchester City away, but we're level on points with Chelsea, one point off a of Champions League spot, three points off first. Uh, I think if uh, you know, I don't expect to be finishing top six at the end of the season, lads. Don't worry. <laughs> but, you know, if, if we dr- if we dropped up and, and finished around the mid table, I think considering we we survived basically on goal difference l- last season, that would that would be an improvement that I'm I'm so proud of. And um, look, if if we can kick on from there then that that would be amazing but yeah this season I, I don't think we'll, we'll quite end up where you see us in the league table now but if we did drop off slightly and, and finish around the mid table I don't think any Villa fans would have any problems with that
1: Villa have been absolutely brilliant to watch so far this season Dan it's been a pleasure to talk to you mate where can people find more from you and more from Heart of the Holt uh,
0: so check us out uh, on YouTube our podcast is the, uh, the Villa Villa podcast um, but if not you can find me on Twitter at Wiseman Football. Uh, its football is FTBL. Um, thank you so much guys for for having me on Uh, it's been a pleasure being able to come on and ramble up about the Villa some more it's my favourite thing to do at the moment Uh, so yeah thank you very much for having me on guys
1: no worries top man Dan take care
0: cheers thanks boys cheers Dan
1: right that's it for Floodlight Focus and that's it for today's Football Social Daily if you want to feature on Floodlight Focus maybe you're a, a fan a podcaster a YouTuber a blogger or anything like that get in touch with us on social media our DMs are open so just find us on Instagram Twitter or Facebook or the usual place Places you can get hold of us Um, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button as well because despite the fact it is the international break we'll still be bringing you daily content all over the place whether that be on our website on our podcast or on our social media channels but that's it for today my name's Niall thanks very much Marley I hope you've cooled down now after that Steve Bruce run oh
4: man that was like that was like therapy you know in the Sopranos (laughs) when he goes to his therapist and just unleashes what's happened it's that is that is what it is it's like I'm I'm zen now I'll be fine for the rest of the week I've been carrying that baggage (laughs) since Friday so nice to unload it
2: and I hope you didn't (laughs) hope you didn't switch off halfway through it
1: thanks also to Matt Cunningham thanks Matt
2: Yeah, thanks now. I'm just hoping Steve Bruce doesn't (laughs) listen to this podcast because he might not be the happiest man. (laughs) I hope he
1: does. (laughs) Oh, Marley's responsible for Steve Bruce's uh, disappointments as well this week. Maybe not the other way around for once. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, as I say, and we'll speak to you again tomorrow.
3: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring